Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson, and today we are blessed and highly favored to have as our guest John Amuchekwa. <laughs> John is the blessed lead. And highly blessed and highly favored. John is the blessed and highly favored lead pastor of Cornerstone Church in the in the historic West End of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, a frequent conference and church event preacher. Uh, John, I've, I've heard recently as well that you just signed a book contract. Do you have a book or two coming out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a, uh, I've got a book on corporate prayer in the life of the church uh, that's going to uh, be with nine marks, and uh, it's due sometime at the end of this year, and yeah, it'll come out next year. And uh, yeah, with uh, nine marks as well, they've got this, uh, what's 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 called first step series, uh, you know, a small you know ten book set on discipleship, uh, and just yeah, trying to walk somebody through their first steps uh, after becoming a Christian. So yeah, two short ones that hopefully will come out sometime next year. Excellent. So it's due at the end of the year. Have you started writing it yet? Yeah, I've started. <laughs> so, Man, I, you're making so us look bad. I've heard. Well, I've heard that starting uh, was the hardest part, and after starting, uh, uh, I found that it it hasn't like gone downhill. Um, <laughs> it's, it's 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 still very hard. Okay. So, yep. Well, good. Yeah. We look forward to that. So, is that a so it's a nine marks? Is that a crossway um, sort of collaboration thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, nine marks across. Excellent. Um, I was uh, blessed enough to catch you at the um, at, at the Southern Baptist Convention Pastors Conference uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, from this recording, and I heard right after that you went to Brazil. Were you in Brazil after that? Yeah, so I yeah hopped on a flight the next day, got home, to, you know, spend the night with my wife and new daughter, and uh, washed all the clothes from my suitcase and put them <laughs> back in the same suitcase. And, I hopped on a flight to Brazil, and uh, there's a publisher out there, Fiel. Uh, Man, just doing great work, and it turned out they've done it for 50 years. And so, yeah, Tripp and I uh, got a chance to go out there and uh, teach at what they call the youth conference. But I get out there, and it's like folks like like 19 to 35. So it kind of threw me for a loop, but yeah. it was an amazing time. Man. It was just crazy. Like, yeah, just no, like, frills, no big lights, but it was just people just there eager to hear from God's Word. And so it was, yeah, great. I, I, I was there for a few days, and I came back home. No, that's great. You know, when I, um, when, when you said uh, you went for the youth conference and it was 19 to 35, um, my first ministry role uh, ever is the summer I graduated high school was youth yeah. youth director for uh, a Chinese Baptist church who uh, there we go yeah yeah and so they had hired me to be the youth director and where of course where I come from youth is junior high high school and right. it turns out for them youth was I had kids as young as third grade all the way into high school um, which that threw me uh-huh. for a loop I would have wished for some you know older for some uh, young yeah. adults yeah. That's- Hey, um, yeah. 
why don't you share some of your story with us? Um, you know, growing up, yeah. uh, your testimony, how you came to faith, and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, um, man, I was fortunate to grow up with a, a great parents that loved the Lord. Uh, they came from Nigeria to the states in the seventies, um, and uh, so you know, my mom and dad. Uh, just the real deal. So from the time that we were young, I mean, they instilled the gospel into us uh, strong. So uh, it, we were never a punctual family, so we were always late. Uh, but to add on top of that, like we didn't leave the house until we read from God's word and yeah, sang songs. So so it's like that's the kind of Christian home that I grew up in. So from a young age. Um, yeah, you know, I was blessed, you know, I put, put my trust in the Lord. And, uh, so, and I believe that at that point I genuinely came to faith, but from yeah, six years old until about, uh, till I graduated high school, I just felt, uh, yeah, lots of holes in my theology in terms of eternal security and, you know, you know, you know, just what life would look like with, a that paired with a, uh, sensitive conscience that like constantly condemned me just made for a turbulent kind of up and down Christian life where I didn't really feel anchored and uh strangely enough I mean the summer after high school I go with my folks to Nigeria for a month it's me my mom and my dad and my four brothers and sisters and strangely enough God used us um yeah, getting robbed at gunpoint uh, on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere, Nigeria. Uh, and as these yeah, guns are pointed at the back of our heads, like it was like life just became incredibly clear to me. And I just saw like, man, like up to this point, you know, I lived my life for the affirmation that came from, you know, girls and relationships that I were in, basketball. And it was at that point that, it was just clear to me, like, I've wasted my life. Everything that I put my hope in is powerless, uh, not just to save me from hell, but to save me from where I am right now on this dirt road. And I remember just crying out to the Lord, asking him to, yeah, you know, save me. And, you know, I grew up in um, a tradition where I rededicated my life probably 80, 80 times. But <laughs> right. this time was a time where it was like, Lord, you, yeah, save me, and I will live the rest like you have my life, Lord. And, yeah, you know, God spared us, you know, through a series of events. Uh, we got back home when we should, and, yeah, I, I, I came home, and I, I had all of my friends that, you know, I grew up with, and you know, I did my dirt with, and, we were in Houston together, and we all were going to go to school, like, close to home. And I just felt like, all right, I got to create some space and go to some place where I can yeah, just really learn more about the Lord and kind of start from scratch. And so yeah, at the last minute, I decided to go to school with Baylor, which was three hours from my um, home. And, yeah, and the Lord used my time there to come to connect me with some of my best friends that I have to this day um, that have helped me to walk with him. And, and God used all of that to, yeah, to bring me to faith or an assurance of faith. Um, 
not sure when it took hold, but I know that that right now I'm repenting of my sin and I trust in the Lord. So I'm assured now. Yeah. About when was that? What year was it that you you graduated high school? This was uh, 2002. Okay. 15 years ago. Okay. And which uh, what high school did you go to in Houston? Kempner High School. Okay. It was uh, in in Fort Bend County. Okay. All right. I'm a Side Creek yeah. guy, Northwest area. There we go. Uh, but I'm right. but but I'm older than you, so anyway, I just didn't know. Yeah. 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 Um. Bye. Tell- <laughs> so I'll turn 42 this year. I graduated. I graduated high school in '94. Yeah. So got it. So tell us about your church now. Tell us about '94. Um, I was in the fourth grade. In I know. So you would have been in that Chinese yeah. uh, youth group that I had, probably. <laughs> I would have been one of the kids. <laughs> That's yeah. right. I would have been trying to figure out how to how to teach you, uh, you know, Bible stories and <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah, young black kid in a Chinese I know. Like you, 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 you would have stood out more than I did, probably. <laughs> right. All right. So um, tell us about your church now in Atlanta and uh, what your ministry <laughs> and your uh, and your mission field is like. Yeah. Um, Cornerstone Church, uh, we started uh, two years ago, June 2015, in the historic uh, West End. So uh, it's... Uh, neighborhood on the southwest of Atlanta that actually uh, predates the city of Atlanta through a yeah, turn of events in the course of the past few years. I mean, historically, it has been an uh, African-American community primarily that and now in the course of the past few years, things are starting to um, yeah, change. I mean, it it is decreasingly the hood, right? It used to be the hood, but now like things are changing faster than we 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 thought that it would um yeah we launched out two years ago with a core team of folks that had just lived here in the west end for yeah four years you know we had a group that moved in here in april of 2011 and their aim was just uh we were all part of a church closer to downtown and a small group of folks moved into the west end and were like hey uh, it seems like this is the one part of town that nobody wants to move into mm. let's move into here and just be good Christians and see what the Lord does. And so while their aim was just, we just want to plant the hope of the gospel here in the West End, um, as the years went on, God saved folks, God uh, brought Christians that had a heart to impact a community like this one to the West End, and things grew to the point where it was a group of folks that said, hey, we planted the, the gospel, it seems like God brought fruit here. Uh, I think that we need to start a church here. So, yeah, our church plan was very reactive, and it launched two years ago. Um, Our church is, you know, an average-sized church by American standards. Uh, Diverse, right? Mostly black, 60 to 70% black, 30 to 40% other. Um, Yeah, uh, most of the church... Most of the folks that are a part of our church live within a square mile or two of our church building. Mm. So that's been yeah, huge for us as a church, just as far as gospel presence where we are. And yep, and the West End has all the stuff that you would think of uh, with the problems that come with being uh, poverty, drugs, prostitution, um, 
and now as things are starting to change, there's um, hey, there's a bunch of the other problems that come up there: materialism, uh, folks that have means, think that the poor folks are the problem. The poor folks think that the rich folks that are going to move in are the problem. Uh, there's black and white here now, so you know racial tension is there. But in a strange sense, is this yeah, close-knit community that forms here. So it's just a, yeah, a weird place, a strange place, but we yeah. love it. So when you say things are, are changing, are, I mean, you're speaking to it like, is the place gentrifying? Is that what you mean? Or is there some sort of... Yeah. So in Atlanta, they've got this thing called the Belt Lines, these old railroad tracks that ran through the inner part of the city. Um, well, in the course of the past, I mean, what? seven, eight years, they started to turn that into a walkable path that was meant to um, connect people that lived on the inside to one another's neighborhoods. Um, and it was meant to uh, create affordable housing all along the Beltline. And on the east side, in the first place where the Beltline pops up, um, uh, uh, amenities come with it and uh, property values go up and through the roof and it just changes the, di- the dynamic of uh, what went on on the east side. So the west side of the trail is just getting completed this year and it, when we moved in years ago we thought that we had a longer runway to be in the West End that we knew and what we're starting to find out now is that things are changing incredibly quick, faster than we thought to be. Mm. Were you um were you ever at Capitol Hill Baptist in, in Washington DC? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What would be the difference? So, I mean, do, do you um, preach differently to that crowd than you do to your flock now and would I? Yeah, I mean, you know, do you? Did you preach you know, differently yeah. there than you do with your flock? Uh, not necessarily. So I would, um, so, you know, when I was there, I was there after pastoring at a church here for four and a half years. Uh, my church gave me a sabbatical and I was there for, for four and a half months. So I really was I've been there for, for a long time. Um so it's like when I'm up there, you know, you know, I got the chance to preach once at the church, and um, yeah, I preach the same way there as I do with my church, and it's a. Uh, uh, but I strive like my goal, my aspiration at, at least is just to preach with a simplicity. Where as I go from place to place, I mean, I may change the reference points that I would use or examples of illustrations, but yeah, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think that I preach the same way there as I do here. Yeah, I actually anticipated, uh, you, you know, you saying that. Um, what's something that's taking you some time uh, to learn um, as a preacher? Something that you can't get in a preaching book necessarily or didn't learn in a preaching book or something you didn't know when, yeah. when you when you first started? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that there's two things that really come up. And one is, uh, yeah, when they both come from 
two people. I pastored with a guy, uh, James Roberson, when I was at Blueprint. And I remember James had a freedom when he preached that just me being so self-conscious about, you know, my stuttering or like just, man, is this, is this like right that I hit the formula if my favorite preacher heard me what would they think like um and i was just weighed down by all of that and james didn't have it and we sat and talked he's like brother like john like you can prepare all you want to but know that like in the moment when we preach that the spirit is at work uh the bible is inspired uh your outline or your manuscript isn't and so there are times where you do want to leave yourself free for the spirit to it, to do his work. And I like it was one conversation, but that convo that I had with James drastically changed just the yeah, the way that I preached. I felt there was a freedom. Um, yeah. And the next thing comes from that. Aaron Menikoff, who's out here, um, we talked probably a few months ago. We're with pastors in greater Atlanta and Aaron uh, just just said to the crowd how he was at a retreat and he was in a room where a pastor said I am no more depressed than when I get down off the stage from preaching I just feel this way that I can do all that I should and he said that, that the rest of the room had agreed and he was just like you know I don't know that feeling. And it wasn't him saying, like, yo, I'm the MJ of preaching. But what <laughs> he said was, man, I made the commitment early on that I'm just going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to get to work. And I'm going to do my work so that when I get up there, regardless of if I preach a home run or I preach a bad one, I can come down and I can feel like, I did the best that I could. And he's like, and I'm tired and exhausted. But he's like, but I never go to bed depressed because I know, hey, I did the best that I could with what God gave me. And that really hit me hard just because the longer that you preach, I think, um, the the better that you get at it and the easier it is at times just to become lazy and to skip steps and to coast. And I just feel like, like that's me. There are guys that, their struggle is they lean towards ambition and trying to do all these big and great things for the Lord and uh, uh, yeah, for the Lord and or themselves. Uh, I tend to lean towards complacency and just let me just do just enough so that I can yeah, chill and enjoy and have a good time. And so I feel like for me, it's constantly like, all right, John, you can't coast it doesn't matter if everybody from your church is going to stand at the back door and say good job good job good job you're going to know that you didn't give your best and it's going to weigh on you so yeah i mean from that point i just sat down it's like all right i'm just going to roll up my sleeve i'm going to get to to work trust god's spirit and however i think that it goes i know that i can yeah be tired and exhausted but go to bed yeah with a clear conscience and a lighter heart so oh, that's great. those are the two things that's excellent 
Hey, let's take a coffee break here for a moment and hear from our hosts at Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry context. Come be a part of one of the fastest growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu slash mdiv today. Midwestern Seminary's Doctor of Philosophy degree program is designed to equip leaders interested in building up the church. The Ph.D. Biblical Studies program at Midwestern Seminary provides opportunities for advanced research and preparation in theology in an environment passionate about God's primary plan for the advancement of the gospel, the local church. Choose from multiple emphases and let your advanced degree open up new opportunities for ministry in our rapidly changing world. With our modular program of study, you can remain in your current ministry setting. But we've also recently introduced the residency, an experiential component to the Ph.D. track, where local doctoral students receive one-on-one coaching and mentoring and a community context in which to bolster their studies. Get your Ph.D. today for the church. All right, we're back with John Anwichekwa. Uh, he is the lead pastor of Cornerstone Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, we were talking about preaching and um, you know, just sort of the, the, the weight, the gravity of preaching, the, the pastoral task of preaching. Uh, John, uh, you know, you mentioned something in, um, you know, previously, and so I have to follow up on it. Um, did you yeah. really stutter? Were you really a stutterer? And Yeah, it hasn't gone anywhere. Oh, really? I okay. am. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I so had. Uh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Oh no, no, no! I mean, it it was yeah, bad all growing up, like really bad. There were some seasons where it got so bad that I would have to like. There'd be sometimes where I just could not get words out, and I would have to like write little notes to my friends just to get it out. And um, so yeah, so growing up, I I never thought that this would be. I never thought being a pastor and a preacher was, <laughs> you know, was was in, in, in the cards for me. You know, to this day, I'm still, yeah, at times, you know, I would love to say, I'm, yeah, I'm fine and I'm good, but I'm still like this. There's lots of, you know, insecurities and hesitancies that, yeah, that come with it all. So. Yeah. Uh, I was a stutterer from kindergarten all the way into college. Um, yeah. pretty bad as well, especially like in, in elementary school. I never wanted to read out loud in class, you know, when they were like calling right, someone right. to read because yeah. I always just thought people would think I was stupid and, and, yeah. um, you know, did now, speech therapy. The speech therapy never helped me, you know, it helped with, with, you know, a few things, but, you know, I used to see a therapist and it didn't really, didn't really help me yeah, very much. Yeah, 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 same here. Now, all right, what, what changed for you? Like what, it, if you could look back and say, ah, these things helped me turn the corner, or I think that, yeah, is it this helpful, or was it just one day I just woke up and I was Jared C. Wilson? And I didn't 
That's right. I got my I got a new name and everything. No, no. It, <laughs> I think um and I think the reason why therapy didn't help so much um you know they had you know I, I remember my therapist suggesting that you know like tongue thrust or different things like this. I think a lot of yeah. a lot of it um for me was um I was a really insecure kid like s- severely insecure um yeah. just really neurotic and and so I tie sort of emerging out of that with just gaining some more, you know, uh, confidence, feeling more myself. Because one thing I noticed, because um, I used to do like these different sketch, you know, um, you know, back in the sort of seeker sensitive days, I was uh, a writer and actor in in drama teams and that sort of thing. And, drama uh, team. I know. I Isn't that crazy? Well. Okay. Well, whenever I acted, I never stuttered when I acted. So there was something about uh, about like I'm someone else. I'm not me. I'm being someone else, oh, and that's I, crazy. I think that ties into it as well. I think it just had a lot to do with, um, not necessarily immaturity, but just a lack of self confidence in it. But you know, I, I, I believe the Lord was calling me into ministry when I was in junior high, and it was reading yeah. in Exodus the call of uh, of Moses, and that, yeah. I mean, that whole yeah. slow of speech <laughs> thing, man, um, really spoke to me. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's a game changer for anybody that yeah. studied. Yeah. So, yeah. so just the fact that we make a living today um, talking in front of in front of big groups uh, is just uh, a testimony to the grace of God. I think God's grace. Yeah. God's grace. Yeah. Hey, you know, okay. So we were at the convention, the Southern Baptist Convention, a couple of weeks ago. Um, one of the things that mm-hmm. that that um, was sort of brought up numerous times, and and it's not anything new. It's been something. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a recurring. Um, you know, issue is just you know tracking the the baptism rate, uh, church membership rates, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, they're down; they're on a downward trajectory. Um, I don't think just in the SBC they're they're down across the board. Why do you think that is? I mean, you know the the popular diagnosis is just we're not evangelizing enough. I'm sure there's truth to that. Yeah. But is that is that the yeah. only problem? No, uh, no, uh, and it's a uh, those metrics sometimes are hard like whenever I hear that stuff uh, my first thought and it may just be the skeptic of the contrarian in, in me is uh, <laughs> like says who like who says that they're down like how do you measure like like lots of this stuff is you know it's self reported and so it's like like it's like man like so you're putting people on the honor system to determine how many they're baptizing. Judging by the way that Baptists talk about their own church size, the honor system and self-reporting doesn't really seem like the best way to measure it. Um, and, yeah, and, too, I mean, like, part of it is that... Uh, at least with me and a lot of the guys that I know that are part of the SBC and really desire to partner to see the gospel advance um, and don't, like, take much in terms of funding or things like that from the SBC. Like, most of the guys that I know like that aren't necessarily keeping score in yeah, I mean, if you could use that. So it's like, I know plenty of folks that are baptizing plenty of people, but they never 
support or yeah, there's an aversion to metrics in that way where yeah, so the the whole it's down and therefore because it's down we need to do this. I don't know if it can be as cut and dry as that. So I lean more towards uh um it, there may be a connection, but uh it it may not necessarily be as easy as we aren't evangelizing enough and that's why things are down. Yeah. So yeah. 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 No, I think you know uh, you know, the if we can state up front that do we need to evangelize more? Absolutely. I think we need to tr- we need we need to train our people um, how yeah. to evangelize because I, I I think part of that problem um, you know, the evangelism problem um, you know you hear some people just attribute it to laziness um, you know inward turn churches everything from that to yeah. you know the influence of Calvinism or whatever it is um, but I'm just thinking yeah. of the way that like I was trained for evangelism um, you know is it. It's more difficult, first of all, today in a more secular culture where people don't have the same categories that they had even 20, 30 years ago. Um, so there's, so there's that, but there's also, you know, these other factors involved as well. So you mentioned just sort of like, you know, are the numbers completely accurate because of reporting that sort of thing? Um, I'm wondering if even like the baptisms when they were so big were fully accurate. And I mean, we had all sorts of abuses, you know, you know, kids. You know, you know, people right. being rebaptized, baptizing children before they're able to make credible professions of faith. Who's to say that the, the numbers, you know, who's to say the numbers going down isn't actually a sign of, of the church getting healthier um, in, yeah. in some sense? Absolutely. Um, I think we need to consider all of those sorts of things. Um, yeah. So, yeah. As, and I mean, yeah, uh, uh, I'd add to that I do think, uh, um, you know, if you know, baptisms and church size, like, are down. You know, I, I, I do think that it could be a large part. Um, you know, the more and more that I do get a chance to talk to, you know, pastors and church planners and folks that are getting ready to plant a, a, a church and just asking folks, you know, just the basic questions of, you know, what is a church? Why does the church exist in the world? Does the Bible really inform not just, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, what a church is and how it should start, but how it should function? Um, it, I do run into a, a lot of folks that are um, ready and assessed and sent out to plant, but are foggy when it comes to the church and ecclesiology. And it just feels like, Man, God's church is the greatest platform for evangelism here in the world. And so if the church isn't right and it doesn't really know why it is that it's there in the the world, then there's no way that I think that that it could bring the type of fruit that should come from a church being there. So, um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great point. As you think about the future of of ministry and mission, just sort of looking out with all of the sort of um, you know dooms you know doomsdaying going on and and just sort of the cynicism, yeah. um, sense of urgency, all that sort of thing. 
Um, what are you most excited about? What gives you hope as you sort of survey the evangelical landscape? Yeah. So what gives me hope is I think the, the thing that is causing our world and Christians, I think, the, the most, uh, uh, the greatest amount of despair, and it is that yeah, racial tension that has always been there. Um, I feel like largely it's been either ignored or quarantined to a smaller segment of society. Well, now, like, it's a mainstream conversation. And, yeah, yeah I mean, and we all know all the mess that comes with all of that. And it seems like that there's no way that this is going to get better. It seems like it's driving a lot of people to, you know, hopelessness and frustration. But I think that huge obstacle is the thing that gives me the most hope because it, that's how God works. Like, I just look at all of this and I, um, yeah, I'm not hopeful in, in, in the people or the gatekeepers or those or the powers that be. I'm hopeful because, like, it's this type of chaos that God loves to use to set the scene to do something great. And I'm confident that the gospel works. It reconciles people. God's word works. And I think as the gospel does its work, which it will do and nobody can stop. Um, yeah, I'm hopeful because I think the church being the possessor of the gospel is going to be the group that leads the way and yeah, showing an alternative to what, like, yeah, this, this, uh, the racial chaos that is mainstream. I think that the gospel will do its work and yeah, that the church will be at the forefront of this the way that the church has always been at the forefront of these major societal collapses and it just seems like an opportunity for god to do his work i don't know how i don't know when but i'm confident that this is the type of scenario that god likes to set out to do his thing so yeah. that's what makes me hope that's great you know, the, the the gospel often before it sorts things out stirs things up and i think yeah. you know for us to face that's great um, you know, people who have had the luxury of not really having to deal with these questions and, and things. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's the gospel train coming through. <laughs> on a roll, but I got a train right by my house. I know. I was, really, I was about to start preaching, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep on, keep on. No, no. <laughs> the, the gospel stirs things up before it sorts things yeah, out. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Well, I, I think um, the the weird blessing um in in some of this tension is that people are actually having to to face it and and answer I mean, people who've had the luxury of pretending like these things don't exist and there's still some mm -hmm. trying to pretend like they don't you know these tensions don't exist or that it's not a problem right. and i just was reading yesterday yeah. on a, a southern baptist forum it's an info, you know informal forum it's not an official thing but a you know forum of of, of pastors um, where they had all decided, essentially, you know, that we don't need to make these resolutions on racism anymore because racism doesn't exist anymore. And I just thought, what, what world are these guys? You know, it was, all, it was a bunch of white guys, of course. Um, and I thought, you know, how, what, a, what a relief that, they, that they've determined that racism doesn't exist anymore. Um, so, but I think, 
you know, just the fact that, you know, these conversations are, are you know, can't be avoided much anymore. Um, you know, yeah. if, if anything good can come from so many, you know, so much of this, um, the tragedies, um, you know, just the, even the clashes and everything that that's going on, um, societally, um, if anything good yeah. can come of it, God will be the one, you know, to do that. And, um, yeah. in some ways it's sort of, um, you know, it makes, you know, if we go way back in history and look at, you know, Augustine city of God, where, um, you just, this contemplating the collapse. I mean, we're not at the you know total point of the collapse of society, but looking at the collapse of empire and just yeah. finding the gospel hope there, the gospel threads there. Um, there's something yeah. that is mirrored for us today, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. John, thank you so, so much, yeah. brother. You yeah, no, no, go ahead. No, no, no. I was, just, I was just going to say yeah and agree with you again. <laughs> well, on that note, I'll take that positive affirmation. And uh, yeah. I, I want to thank you for your time today, brother. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks, brother. We've been speaking with John Amwichekwa, pastor, preacher, and writer. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, um, social media, um, other channels of social media, and look for uh, his books coming out, I think, beginning next year with Crossway and Nine Marks. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, managing editor of For the Church, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.